Hey guys, what's up? It is week 313, and you know what? Let's just hop right into the reviews. The first one up is from Cauldron Films. This is from 1978, and it's a Euro crime film, or a Plizia Tetsi. Um, and this is Convoy Busters. Now, this is directed by, what, Stavio Masi? Uh, how do you say his name? Um, this guy's done a bunch of stuff. If you guys remember the Years of Lead box set, he did the um, one with... Um, but uh, Merley in it, Maurizio Merley, Maurizio Merley with the car racing, which is pretty cool. Um, this is also, you know, has Maurizio Merley in it, of course. Um, this guy, Maurizio Merley, was kind of like they couldn't get Franco Nero at the time, and he came like kind of like this second rate Franco Nero, but he's also different, just tougher, like kind of more, you know, stunt oriented. So, Convoy Busters, here we go. So, this one I had heard about again in passing, I had not seen it, and uh, I, I was interested, of course, by the director, the actor, and hell, it's a 70s Euro crime film, I'm gonna be interested in it. So, what we have here, of course, is this uh, a cop who's completely off, you know, he's a vigilante cop, right? But in one way, you look at this nowadays through today's lens and people are going to be like, holy shit, this cop is just brutalizing. He's beating witnesses up. He's no good. He's a villain. And yeah, he is in that sense, right? Um, same kind of similar to 10 to midnight. Yeah, Bronson just committing all these crimes but um, as a cop. But then you look at him, who, who his main target is. He's not targeting like youth or young people or drug pushers. He, he will abuse them to get to the top. But he's literally going after the, the drug dealers, the the, the pol powerful drug dealers, the politicians, you know, all these people that are generally causing harm to society. So, in a way, he's a villain and a hero, all in the same breath in, in this kind of aspect, even when you look at it today's lens, you know what I mean? So, Maurizio um, Merley is really solid in this one. Um, he's intense, he's good. And this one almost is weird. It's almost like a vignette kind of deal. Like, um, where it, you think it's one storyline and it kind of jumps to two or three different storylines. At first, uh, what we have here is Merle is this cop in a big city and he catches on to this kind of, uh, this, this murder. And he starts to, all signs kind of start to focus on this kind of heavy kind of business guy who's up there. And uh, he starts to press really hard on some people, including his kid and, and some other people are ended up dead. Um, and he realizes that no matter how hard he fights or pushes towards it, there's a system in place and these people are protected. And you think that there's going to be some sort of like completely different kind of switch where he's going to go after, but it kind of switches gears completely. At one point, we're following like a prisoner who escapes and we have this like helicopter chase scene. And then at the very end, we end up kind of like on his given up. He's given up and he realizes he can't fight the system. But, you know, crime is everywhere. And even in this coastal town, crime's going to come to him. And what is he supposed to do? He can't turn the other. He can't turn, look the other way because who he is. So there's really great stuff in that aspect. Um, now Mike Malloy, and I can't think of the other guy who does the commentary on here. Um, it's a really good commentary, so I want to make sure I give them credit. Uh, Mike Malloy and Mike Martinez. Now they they break down, you know, why this one stands out a little bit more than the other Murley stuff. He's a little bit more, I guess, like. I don't sensitive. I guess is the word to look for. Of course, this one is the late '70s, so we were having squibs. You know, a lot of the Euro crime films or Euro films in general, horror films, squibs weren't really a thing in a lot of them. Even if you look back in some of the '60s American action movies, like there's no squibs in the Dirty Dozen from '67. That stuff didn't start happening until you know '69 with uh, Bonnie and Clyde and and '68 um, and stuff like '67 uh, Bonnie and Clyde '68 Wild Bunch. You know, it became more prevalent. 
But uh, by the time we're at the late 70s, the Italians are doing it. So there's squibs galore, there's slow motion. And another thing that they point out in the commentary, but I noticed myself, you know, because I watch a lot of Euro, horror, Euro films, a lot of Euro horror films, and usually the camera works really solid. So solid that I'm so used to a lot of the solid camera work that I don't, you know, I don't take note of the camera work that I really like. You know, the obviously they're in a wide and or, or like a medium and they'll go into a close-up, a whip pan or whatever, a zoom, so they don't have to change the angles. That's It's kind of a, a money, uh, you know, saving tactic, but it always looked really good because they were so good at their camera work. This one, I noticed some of the, like, tracking shots and, and like, the do- they had to be have, like, dollies and, like, lifts and shit. I was just like, wow, this is a little bit more impressive than your typical uh, Euro crime film. I thought it was well shot, and Merle's good in it. The music is always good in Italian Italian films, 95% of the time. If there's a stinker soundtrack or something, is or, you know, it's usually reused a lot of times, and it's still great, but there's sometimes a stinker, one that doesn't stand out. This one does. Uh, Olga Karataros, or however you fuck say her name is in here, you know, from Zombie, Splinter in the Eye. She's gorgeous. She comes in pretty late in the film. There's, of course, some familiar faces as the bad guys. You know, I, I, these movies have, like, a, a stock group of goons that are AK. They're also stuntmen. So, you know, they're taking hits. They're taking blast. But I really like the detective work that he figures out uh, in the coastal town. I love that what it's saying. You know, like, the system, and you can't beat the system. And no matter how hard you try, um, nobody's going to listen to him, you know. And there's a really dark scene involving an accidental shooting that he has. But it's incredibly violent. Murley's great in it. The action's great in it. The, 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 the squibs are great in it. Uh, one of the better, uh, you know, Euro crime films I've seen. I, I quite enjoyed it, and the special, uh, you know, features really helped too. Like I said, that Mike Malloy and Mike Martinez commentary is really good stuff. They point out a lot of the stuff that I've mentioned. Uh, some of that because of them. Other stuff, you know, you just notice the cinematography a lot when you see a lot of these, and this when it stands out, and it does. Uh, but they point out a lot of stuff about Murley in general. They know a lot about this guy, and there leads me to the next special feature on here, um, which is. Um, uh, Maurizio Murley, a lethal hunter of subtle variation with tough guy film expert Mike Malloy. So basically Mike Malloy breaks down all the Euro crime films that Murley did and he talks about the differences and variations, how many times he worked with Lindsay. Um, we just went through that box set, right? Uh, the uh, one with uh, the Tomas and the Lindsay uh, box set and he's in that. Um, and, and he's in the tough ones. He's in a bunch of stuff. So like he breaks down all these different roles and performances from him and, and it's interesting. It's really good stuff. It's funny at the same time and informative as you should be that's the way you learn really i feel like you do and you know i've seen a handful of them i haven't seen all of them you know i'm no mike malloy obviously even if i have the mustache still no mike malloy um but yeah so that was good stuff and then we also have some uh i think some older interviews and stuff interview with Murzio, uh Matal Murley, interview with uh danello massey um that's uh the director's wife i believe or daughter maybe his daughter maybe his daughter then uh we also have archival interview with Ruggiero diodato and yoji castellari so great stuff uh yeah this one's a lot of fun Fun. I'd recommend checking it out. Looked good, sounded good. Seventy-eight. Like you want to pick up these Euro crime films if you're like me and you've like kind of combed all the Euro horror films and you're looking for more of that Euro flavor, that Italy flavor. Then you definitely want to grab some of the Poliziotti and Euro crime stuff. You will not be disappointed. They usually have, you know, a lot of them have these like great American stars that they say are washed up or they go over there to become stars like Charles Bronson, you know, Telly Savalas. You know, he's not. He's always a star, but you know what I mean. Like they're over the Oliver Reed or in these movies uh english star but still so many good actors in these films too and so much great score and filmmaking and uh, they're just good stuff convoy busters and it's an interesting time in italy and it reflects in their films the vigilante film in italy is not quite like the vigilante film in america okay next up we have um uh, from cauldron films shanghai joe that's right this one i had not seen it's by a guy who did a couple horror films director of nightmare castle i know he did a few other ones and uh the two names that stand out to me of course are um you know gordon mitchell 
and Klaus Kinski are both in this. So this one is a lot of fun. It's an East meets West. Like I said, if you guys don't know what that is, it's kind of incorporating the old West, but we kind of incorporate, you know, Asian culture in here. So you'll have like a karate or a Kung Fu expert coming over into the old West and having to deal with everybody come in contact with. So right in the beginning of this movie, we have this um, Asian character coming in. I, now I, is he, he, I believe he is, is he supposed to be Japanese or Chinese? I, I can't remember. I imagine it's Kung Fu. He's going to be Chinese. That's pretty typical. So he comes in to the Old West and he wants to go to Texas. And right off the bat, he's treated poorly by the stagecoach driver. He's calling him racial slurs, makes him right on top. Um, and you just kind of sense the, the racism and everything there. And everybody he encounters gives him lip, causes him problems until, of course, he has a bar fight. But it has that kind of Kung Fu Shaw Brothers style mixed in with the Old West, which is a lot of fun. Um, and eventually he pisses off the wrong guy in this, what is he, I mean, probably a cattle baron or some sort like that, right? The typical kind of character like that. And he he hires five badass assassins to kill poor Shanghai Joe. Uh, and, and it's a lot of fun. You know, I love these kind of ra these group of like bounty hunters, you know, like they have these names and they have all these special talents. It's like a, it's almost like a comic book, right? Um, there's like Pedro the cannibal. And then there's the guy who's the gambler, the Ricky, the Fox. And, and of course you have uh, scalper Joe played by Klaus Kinski. And this is one of his better roles. I, I mean, I always love Klaus Kinski, but this one, he's generally creepy. He's got this big hat that pushes down his ears. It makes him look really childlike. And he's just, you know, Klaus Kinski scary as shit already. This one, it's like, yeah, Scalper Joe. I'm going to hard pass on Scalper Joe. Really creepy guy. Gordon Mitchell in here as well. If you guys haven't seen Gordon Mitchell, he's in a bunch of these Italian films. He's got a, a, a face like stone. He's in a, he's kind of like, I don't want to say this, I'm not trying to like him, but he looks kind of like Chuck Connors, but the Italian evil version. Like if Chuck Connors and Klaus Kinski ran at each other like full like blast, you might get like somebody kind of like Gordon Mitchell. But uh, no, it's a lot of fun. Uh, the Kung Fu fight scenes are amazing and the bad guys are really great. And the ending is fun and i know I, I feel like the score was lifted i swear it has to be from something else i, I am almost 110 percent positive that this is like from ripped from one of these sergio leones it was way too familiar or way too familiar to me or it's like a slight variation of another classic one like i feel like it's got to be from the dollars trilogy or something it's just like it was a song i was like well, this is embedded in my head i know this song by heart i don't it's not this doesn't come from this movie but uh also also i should mention the special feature samurai spirit interview with master Katsushi uh, Mira uh, yeah, Mirakiria, and he mentions, you know, they ask him, would you do another movie? He's like, yeah, but I'm a little too old at this point. East meets West Italian style, visual essay by film historian Eric uh, Zalvadar, and this is good stuff because he starts from the very beginning and talks about all the East meets West, and he goes through all of them, including Red Sun and all these other ones, but he says, now these ones are kind of East meets West, these ones are not at all, and this ones are the ones that were almost made. It's pretty in-depth, it's good stuff. And we have a commentary by Mike House from the Spaghetti Western Digest, we have trailer image gallery this one is a lot of fun as well i think i prefer convoy busters but that's just more my actually no i like both of them a bit but convoy busters is just for what it is i think it's the better movie uh i think it's the better euro crime movie when you compare but i mean when you're when you're throwing east versus west there's not that i haven't seen that many of those i've seen a handful there's also one with Lee Van Cleef out there. But uh, yeah, Shanghai Joe, if you're interested in East Meets West, this is a good starting point, I would imagine. And there's a nice visual essay on here. Good stuff from Cauldron Films. Delivering the goods. You can watch this in English or Italian. I like to watch my Italian movies in Italian and English, though. Okay, this next one here is from Arrow Films, and this is Assassination Bureau, LLC. And uh, this is from, what, 1969, I believe? And uh, this is actually based off a book 
well, it's kind of a weird story. They go into it, and then one of the special features, they talk about how the story, how this movie became, where it gets source material and all that stuff, how it was, like, kind of written by Jack London, but he was dead, and it was just, like, memoir. Somebody picked it out and kind of, like, patched it together and whatnot, and then it was, like, tried to be adapted earlier, and eventually we end up with this weird kind of broad, farcical, like, comedy, uh, a stash and and barrel, and in the movie, they're like, LLC. So it's got some good, uh, memorable people in here, of course. It's got Diana Rigg from, um, she was in Game of Thrones, She's also in Theater of Blood, and of course, she's in the television show The Avengers. And oh, geez, she was just in um, what was last night in Soho. And it's also got Telly Savalas from The Dirty Dozen, Violent City, um, um, Kelly's Heroes, one of my personal favorite ag- actors. Love him. And one of my other favorite personal actors, it's got Oliver Reed. How the hell could you not? love Oliver Reed. He's kind of young in this one. So Oliver Reed uh, is basically, he runs this uh, assassination for hire business. And Diana Rigg is a reporter. Telly Savalas runs this paper. She wants to get a job here. It's, it's you know, it's a period piece before World War One. So they're not going to hire her. She, you know, but they're going to hire her on the down low. And she wants to expose this assassination bureau. So she finds it, tracks it down, goes in there, and she wants to hire an assassination. You know, that's how it's the only way she can do it. And she hires the, the bureau to assassinate Oliver Reed, who runs it? And he's like, well, I guess we got to play by the... And Oliver Reed's really quirky and weird. So it turns out that Telly Savalas is the vice president, and he has a lot to gain. I sound like Jesse Ventura here. Uh, Telly Savalas had to gain when he takes out Oliver Reed. But uh, so basically, he sounds a little bit like, uh, you know, Lenny Papo and Ventura together. But uh, so so anyways, she hires him to take out... um, uh, she wants Oliver Reed dead. So all the assassins from all the different countries have all these wild ideas. They're all in these ridiculous outfits trying to kill Oliver Reed. But meanwhile, Diana Rigg is following him to write the story and Telly Savalas is getting information from her because she doesn't know. And it's it's completely farcical and ridiculous and fun and, and just silly. And the characters are outrageous and there's a lot of double crossing and silliness. And the opening is a great montage of assassinations that are absolutely bonkers. This is a lot of fun. It even ends on a fucking Zeppelin blimp i believe it's a zeppelin blimp and a sword fight uh where they're attempting to start drop the first bomb uh this is so this is so much fun and telly savalas is great of course oliver reed is great diana rigg is great all the side characters i love too i would really recommend this there's just one of this bad guys who's the german and he's just yes he has to be the german but i think a lot of people will get a great kick out of this one so as far as the special features are concerned brand new audio commentary with sean hogan and ken newman this is great they're having laughs not at the movie's expense during the movie and they talk about the history of it and the actors and all the people involved right film wrong time a 30 minute appreciation by critic broadcaster and cultural historian matthew sweet now that's interesting it talks about how the movie you know the source material all that stuff if you definitely check that one out original trailer image gallery reversible sleeve anyways i had a lot of fun with this would watch this again definitely put it on in the background you could tell it's from that late 60s kind of weird kind of look to it early 70s just silliness that um i really like you know uh you know, gentlemen being ridiculous in, in insane ways. But a lot of fun. I think people will enjoy Assassination Bureau. I did. I thought it was great. Next one here is a new film from Thai, uh, Thailand. And this is uh, Dread Central Presents. And this is The Lake. Now, this is a monster flick and it's Asian. So I was like, we're in for a treat. I'm definitely intrigued. I, I like my monster flicks and I love my Asian flicks. So I put this in and it starts off with great promise. There's an egg on the on this lake by this lake, this kind of like swampy area. And uh, this these fishermen are by it. And of course, this giant monster comes out, show the monster right away, kills everybody, you assume, and disappears. Uh, we kind of fast forward through maybe a couple days the next day. A little girl finds the egg and uh, the, you kind of establish the family. And right then a smaller monster attacks 
and just starts ripping this small town apart. Um, of course, the local authorities are notified, um, one of which is a cop who's having trouble with his daughter. His daughter's on a car ride with him as he picked her up from school, his partner. They get involved, but the main focus is kind of this family, uh, brother, sister, younger sister and whatnot. You assume their mom died a long time ago or left and their father is dead from the creature. And it, it, the whole kind of allegory is, you know, because one of the persons has been bit by the monster and when the monster's hurt, they're hurt, you know, fear of the fear of something different causes, you know, people to lash out and kill each other, stuff like that and, and whatnot. Of course, you, the monster is misunderstood. What kind of in the universal vein? What monster wouldn't be misunderstood, right? But uh, this movie is in love with the scene in Jurassic Park during the rain. You know, the Tyrannosaurus Rex uh, has the kids trapped in the Jeep and it's looking on the side of the window and it's raining and you see its eyes. Uh, scene happens about six or seven times in the lake it, it literally does it's verbatim um the cgi is pretty solid you know i thought it looked pretty good no complaints you know i thought uh, the littler monster looked good the big monster looks solid no real complaints on the cgi i thought it was well done now the big monster moves a little less uh, he's probably maybe a little bit maybe some practicality in there as well um the one thing that kind of lost me is the end of the film. The last act starts to get very drama-based, which I don't mind, but it just seems very repetitive of people screaming and looking, and it cuts back, and we see that same Jurassic Park scene five or six times. Well, the ending kind of lost me. I'm not going to lie. The climactic scene, I, I, I just wasn't on board at the end. I thought the movie was solid and well-made and well-done for what it was. I like it. It's just that the ending couldn't really bring me in and tie it all together well. Uh, and one thing I noticed is like nowadays, if you hear a score, you can always tell if it's like a library score, like, Hey, I bought this on a package. And this movie is definitely, I bought this score in a package. No offense to the composer. If, if it is an actual composer, but it sounded exactly like library purchase music. And I am just not a fan of that score. Um, that's one thing that's missing out of a lot of films nowadays. Like I just talked about convoy busters and Shanghai Joe and assassination bureau. And those movies all have scores that are going to stand out and be completely different from anyone else. Even if maybe Shanghai, Shanghai, Joe lifted it from something else. Hey, but I'm just saying, you know what I mean? Those scores are memorable and different. This one, not so much. It's a lot of stings that you've heard before. A lot of, okay, here we go. Hey, the score doesn't work. I'm sorry. The locations are cool. The monsters are cool. The story's okay. Um, don't love it. Like it. Check it out. I think a lot of people will like this a lot more than me. And it's a rare case that we get this many like cool monsters. So check it out. Check it out. I think it's worth your time. It's just watch the trailer. I think you'll know if you'll like it or not. Going to be relatively quick with this one, and this is by uh, Curtis Harrington. Curtis Harrington did a slew of movies, including Clean of Blood, and he did some uh, old bitty movies. Um, and this one he did in 1961, and this stars Char uh, Dennis Hopper. I almost said Charlie Bronson. Dennis Hopper. Now, Charles Bronson in this would have been a different movie. I don't think it exists. But uh, uh, Dennis Hopper, who was in Queen of Blood for um, uh, Curtis Harrington as well, and he stars in this. It's a black and white picture, um, and this is a really solid movie. Um, I had heard a lot about it years and years. And this follows a sailor who's kind of like, uh, I guess he's like kind of like located at this kind of area on the coast. Um, and he starts to, he runs into this, uh, this strange girl in like a jazz bar and he starts talking to her and then he's like, can we hang out the next day? And she's like, sure. So they have like another date and she's just very strange and different. And Dennis Hopper is so young in this and you could tell why he's a star. He's got so much screen presence and charisma. He just seems very innocent, very kind of naive, but at the same time likable. So he starts to be very intrigued by this, this mermaid and he finds out what she does. She kind of is a mermaid sideshow. You know, she at first he doesn't know, but she seems to be kind of like iffy, you know, and it comes to find out people around her whispering, you know, to Dennis Hopper that, hey, 
you know, the last couple people that were around here didn't have very good ends. So maybe you need to, you know, rethink your position here. And she has kind of like this adoptive father type who runs the sideshow and he's just always drunk. Um, this has like a, a film noir for sure, a mystery to it, a femme fatale, if you will. And Dennis Hopper, like you said, like I said, is really good in this. And he has this like great innocence. It also has got this weird nautical mythology, which I enjoy and backdrop, which is pretty cool. And there's like circus folk kind of in the background everywhere in a little bit so it has that aspect that I really like you know like Nightmare Alley you know I've not seen the original but the remake had that circus aspect as well I need to watch the original but it felt like circus and, and sideshows and things like that used to be such a bigger part of horror movies so like when I see older ones and it's there I'm always excited about it or even sometimes they would leak into the 60s 70s 80s and even 90s you know but I just always had a soft spot because when I was a kid we'd go to even just little fairs and stuff and and they just had a certain certain charm about them I always felt like you know the, the kind of circus or the sideshows or I know that they're dated there's a lot of that stuff shouldn't probably ever be there but um it has a direct correlation with horror and I think it kind of belongs. So when I see that stuff in here, I, I really like it. I really think that macabre and mystery and stuff all mixes together. Noir, circus, horror, all that stuff. And this one fits in all that stuff. And it does have like some good nightmare sequences and some good mysteries about it. But this is a good film. Night Tide. I would recommend checking it out. Great title, too. And uh, out of the Curtis Harrington movies, that's, did he do Killing Kind? With uh, John Savage, it's been years since I watched The Killing Kind, but I know he did a handful of movies that I have seen, and he's a pretty solid director, but I think Night Tide is one of his better ones for sure, so check it out. We're going to get into those 1981 movies. Woe be unto him who opens one of the seven gateways to hell, because through that gateway, evil will invade the world.
Valentine's Day is a curse that'll live on and on. And no one will know as the years come and go of the horror from long time ago. In this little town, when the 14th comes round, there's a silence and fear in the air. Remember the morn that the legend was born, all the shock and the horror was there. Oh, the legend they say on a Valentine's Day is a curse that'll live on and on. And no one will know as the years come and go of the horror from long time ago. And no one will know as the years come and go of the horror from long time ago. And first up is Wolfen. Not really a werewolf movie, but of course it's always said it's one of the big werewolf movies in 1981 along with American Werewolf in London and Howling. Not really a werewolf movie, but there's also Night of the Werewolf. There's also Full Moon High. I think National Mummy has a werewolf sequence in it. So there's more than that if we're talking werewolves, okay? So Wolfen, all right. So uh, this movie was one of these ones that I always tried to watch as a kid, and I was like, I don't get it. This is boring. But uh, I was just being a baby. This is Albert Finney in it, Gregory Hines. There's some other people in here I don't want to forget. I know, like, uh, who who's in here. Uh, they're not even saying who's in the movie. I, I feel like I'm missing, like, the um, Diane Vernara. Edward James Olmos is also in here. And there's, like, some side characters. Like, you'll notice Tom Noonan is in here. Um, really good, uh, you know, supporting cast. So... This is a solid film, and this is an adult horror film, which I really like. You know, it follows Albert Finney. So in the very beginning of the movie, like, we have this, like, vision. Like, we have, like, point of view, and it's not like your slasher point of view or your giallo point of view. It's very alien or predator point of view, I should say. I feel like Predator saw this movie. Um, that was 87, and they kind of ripped the, the point of view that the, they have. So we see this crazy point of view, and we have this, like, rich guy, is, is, is supposedly his wife and their bodyguard, and they are horribly killed disgustingly killed hands chopped off mangled brutal great gore effects great special effects and uh this guy was somebody very important he's part of like a rich family dynasty so albert finney is a detective he's kind of a strange detective and he's looking on the case trying to figure it out gregory hines is uh, i believe he's an ambulance or a, a coroner so they start to work together to try to figure this whole thing out and he brings in the help of someone who's i believe into more of occult stuff because they figure there might be some sort of voodoo's angles all this kind of weird shit that could be related to this brings her in and she starts, and Albert Finney and her start to have this strange relationship. But uh, all signs end up pointing to Edward James almost, you know, from a million movies, including Blade Runner and Stand and Deliver. I believe he's in Stand and Deliver. It's been years. But, um, that was one of my mom's favorite movies. I don't remember if I watched that or not. I think I did. But, um, so, so what happens is he starts to look into him and, Edward James almost gives him this whole rundown of what could possibly be out there. They don't know. They know it's some sort of canine and it's wolfing. And that's uh, uh, as this Native American kind of uh, transferring uh, shapeshifters is what they're saying. So basically it's shapeshifting wolves. And, and, you know, they don't typically do this in too many movies. There's been a couple. I believe um, the beast uh, must die. The, the amicus picture, they transfer into a wolf only. 
Um, but they consider that a werewolf. This one, they do not. They're the wolfen. Um, almost like a nightbreed character, right? The wolfen who can shapeshift into things. Um, Twilight later also has kind of the giant wolves, but these are just bigger wolves and everything like that. But I, I was very impressed with the point of view stuff. Like I said, it was definitely a precursor to uh, Predator. Uh, and I was also, and I loved the camera work in that, going around the run-down city because the wolfen prey on, you know, what society doesn't want. Um, you know, the homeless people, the drug addicts, the people that are on the outskirts of society that live, will go into these kind of like abandoned buildings, but they're renovating them. So the wolfen feel like they need to protect their home. So the people responsible are who, guess what? The rich people, that's why they're attacking them as well. So, so there's these interesting things like that, of course, like a, a element of classism or, or whatever gentrification, uh, you know, whatever, you know, and this is before Giuliani started cleaning up New York. I take it. And <laughs> so there's that, right? Um, yeah, but there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in Wolf, and the score is great. It's James Horner, very reminiscent of what he would do in Aliens. I believe he did the Alien score. I, I hear beats of that. The score is great. The special effects are fantastic, and there's a good mystery story to it, a very adult detective story. And when I was a kid, I was like, Wolfen's boring. I want Howling in American Werewolf in London. Now I'm like, Wolfen's pretty fucking good, man. This is good stuff. This is a very professionally well-done, well-shot movie with great cast, great score, great cinematography. What more can I want? Good dialogue, funny dialogue because the characters are solid um just good stuff you know everybody's solid in it everybody's good they have a lot of good stuff wish there was more special features on the warner archive disc there's not really anything and i should mention that the director did the woodstock he directed woodstock you know about woodstock the documentary but he didn't really do money else meant much else as far as directing goes but this is a good one this is a movie that i'm glad i watched for 81 and i had not seen it in years um i, I know it was, i don't even know if i sat down and saw the whole thing because it had that weird element of boredom to like a 10 year old but it does not. It definitely entertains the 36-year-old Dave Parker. The next up, of course, is the Morgans. But what's this director's name? James uh, James Elmoy? Elroy? Conway. James L. Conway. So, um, yeah. Anyways, The Boogans was a movie that I remember being very excited when I picked it up on VHS. I, there's a VHS over there. I know there is. And, and hell, I'm doing Allison's birthday next. I have Allison's birthday on VHS. Do an email to that. But uh, when I was a kid, Boogans was one that I tracked down. And I got it at a good price on VHS, and I was so excited to watch it. It was one that I did not see when I was you know, 10 or 12. I was probably like 13, 14, got the VHS, and I was like, Corey, we're going to watch The Boogans. I remember reading a review of it, and, and somebody like had said that there's an old man who just keeps saying, The Boogans, The Boogans. So that happens once. So I was like, fuck that guy. Uh, but anyways, uh, The Boogans. It also gave, was very popular because Stephen King gave it like a nice write-up and said it's really terrifying. Uh, so this is like mine whore, right? Like underground coal mining whore. And that's My Bloody Valentine's the same year. So that's pretty cool. So basically what we have here is they show all these old pictures of these old timing mines and they tell you the story through all these newspaper clippings. It's really nice opening and really great, you know, ex uh, exposition. So basically there was something in these mines years ago and they, it, there's cave-ins. They blew it up. They sealed them off. Now they're going to reopen them because somebody wants to make a couple bucks. There's a couple young kids on the job, but there's a couple old timers as well showing them the ropes. Um, and the dialogue all seems very natural, all entertaining. The old guys seem real. Like, yeah, I know old guys like this. I, I, I worked with old guys like this. And you kind of get the sense that all these characters are really pretty pretty well-rounded, pretty realistic, and you like them. So there's a couple girls that come into town for the guys, the young guys, and, you know, they're going back and forth from working and trying to get back to hang out with their, you know, their lady friends and have some fun. Uh, but, of course, after they blast those mines open, there's an old, like, kind of crazy Ralph-style character around keeping a close eye to those mines because he knows that the Boogans, whatever the fuck those are, 
are in the mind. Uh, the director said that it's based on an ancient uh, Scott, Scottish folktale that he made up. So there you go. Uh, so, the, so the Boogans basically are these kind of weird, I don't know what the fuck, tentacled creatures. Not quite chuds, not quite the thing from the strangeness, but... Nothing in between that either. I don't know what the fuck they are. There are these little gross things with a lot of teeth and they have tentacles. So the Boogans start to pick people off here and there. Now I must admit, this movie is has good atmosphere, good suspense. It's well shot. Yeah, there's a scene where it's like somebody goes into the basement to get something and the Boogans is stalking them the whole time by point of view. That's really well done. It's really built suspense. There's lots of great cinematography in that aspect. It is slow to get us started, you know. The Boogans is pretty slow to get started, I will admit. And it, it's it's all overall solid movie. I enjoy it. I like it. But it, it's to a slow start. But once it picks up, it's good. I mean, and people get picked off. The Boogans are scary. Uh, they're gross. But they're kind of goofy at the same time. The, the people who made it don't seem that impressed with the Boogans creatures themselves. But it's got a good atmosphere, it's got a fun story, it's got a great setup, and it's got good good characters for the most part, you know, solid enough. Um, you know what, I enjoy the Boogans. I think it's pretty good. I don't, is it going to make my top 10 at 81? No. Is it going to make my bottom 20? Absolutely not. Is it, it, It's good. I enjoy the Boogans. As far as the special features are concerned, we have uh, audio commentary with director James L. Conway, screenwriter David O'Malley, and star Rebecca Balding. Now, I really like the lead actress in there. I think she's great. Got a great, unique look. And the director actually got married from the actress in this movie. So they talk about that a lot. So that's really great. And they're still married. Uh, that's beautiful. But yeah, the director seems like a nice guy. He knows his horror movies. He likes his horror movies. And uh, overall, seems like a really nice, educated man. And this movie is pretty fun. So here it is. Stephen King. I recommend The Boogans. Wildly energetic monster movie. Twilight Zone magazine. So, uh, you know, Stephen King's a great writer. Or a very popular writer. I don't know about his choice in, uh, in film all the time, but hey, he's a millionaire and I'm not. So listen to Stephen King, The Boogans. Next up from 1981 is an Australian joint, and this is Allison's Birthday. Now this bad boy is in the All Haunts BRs, a uh, folk horror box set. And this is from Severn Films. Um, and I finally got to dive into this bad boy. This thing has so many movies in it. And Allison's Birthday happened to be one of them. Allison's Birthday, I don't think, ever had a Blu-ray stateside. Or maybe not even a DVD stateside. I don't think so. It was kind of lost on VHS here in the States. So Allison's Birthday, I popped this in. And it opens up right away with like kind of this. These kids are playing a Ouija board. And it tells this girl's age. And she's like, what, 14, 15? And it's counting down to her 19th birthday which is really unique and one of her friends is possessed something goes horribly wrong there's a warning right right like any classic horror story like crimson peak beware of crimson peak house by the cemetery that the, the person in the painting telling you not to go there so she gets a horrible warning you know uh, omen if you will not even that just a straight up warning and, and it basically says get away get away while you can i'm your father and her father and her mother are both dead and somebody they're trying to contact her through the past so we kind of fast forward and she's grown up um, she's dating someone and she gets a call from her aunt that says, why don't you come back for your birthday? Your uncle's sick. We need you here for your birthday. And right away, you know, something's up, right? I started getting vibes like Rosemary's Baby, Hereditary. But after a while, I started getting more vibes like Suspiria Remake, Brotherhood of Satan. And it's all these. It's, it's part, you know, Rosemary's Baby with the cult underground kind of secretive stuff. It's part, you know, Brotherhood of Satan exactly like that. So it has all these elements of other horror films that you've seen, but this one was a little ahead of 
of some of those movies. It's ahead of Hereditary. It's, uh, you know, and, and so there's that. So basically what happens is uh, we start to realize that a lot of people aren't who they say they are. And that idea that, like, people calling you back to your home for some other implement, you know, that whole they raised you for this. Society is also like that, right? Wood, uh, Crowhaven Farm has that element, too. You know, you're going back to this small town where you were supposed to go back. There was one from last year or something like that where you were raised to be this sacrificial lamb or something sorts uh get out it's also get out right it's very much get out at the same time or skeleton key if anybody's seen that i basically spoiled the fuck out of all these movies and allison's birthday if you've seen one of them sorry but you get the point right it's very much in these and there's a couple moments that are really good the opening is interesting there is a great dream sequence nightmare sequence where there's kind of like stonehenge shit involved the ending is great the ending is what makes this movie above average before that it's kind of a it's slow it's dull. Uh, some of the the dialogue is written a little iffy, but it's not horrible, and it's interesting, and it's well done. But it is dull. But the ending, when this character realizes what happened and who they are, and they give you the hundred and first birthday or hundred and fourth birthday, you're like, that is dark. That is great, wonderful ending. Really depressing really sad as far as the special features are concerned we have extended interviews from the not quite hollywood with some of the people who worked on this and then we have a really good who who did it um was it uh alexander uh alexandria uh heller nichols did the the special feature on here and it, it tackles satanism in particular the satanic panic in australia at the time which is cool it kind of came over from the united states that's it's an import they got from us <laughs> so that's pretty cool uh nice little featurette on there but this is an interesting movie like love it or hate it it doesn't really matter sometimes for me it, it kind of matters where it fits in that horse historical horror puzzle and this one's one that i'm glad i saw because you know i'm, I'm picturing pending together it's like brotherhood of Satan, rosemary's baby brotherhood of satan you know allison's birthday you know you know you keep going and you're like these themes and these ideas are in so many horror films so when people are like that's a ripoff of this it's like come on guys they're all have a lot of the same dna and, and if you got to keep referencing this is a ripoff of this do a little bit more research and start mentioning other films that do it too. Like for all the way from 1968 to 1970 to 1971, you got it. Like, you know, it's like movies that have these themes and these feelings and stuff like that. Right. There's so many like these, just this whole box set has all this shit on top of that. So when people are like, just quit being lazy and you're, and you're saying when movies rip off other movies, there's a million movies that did it before and after the movie you're referencing. So anyways, uh, Allison's birthday, pretty interesting stuff. Um, so yeah, and the last one is the Patreon pick, and this is from uh, Bergman, of course, and this is The Seventh Seal. This stars uh, Max von Sydow, of course, from The Exorcist and Hour of the Wolf, uh, Citizen X. Great actor, interesting actor. Got a start in the Bergman movies, where he became popular from the Bergman movies. This one is 57. It's a period piece. Takes place during the Black Plague, which is an awful fucking time in our history. Probably one of the worst places to be alive at in the plague. So he is a religious crusader, and he was convinced to go on this religious crusade from some scummy piece of shit, you learn later. And he has basically his squire with him him and his squire is i don't know this actor's name but he's in a lot of films and he is fucking excellent everything he says is brilliant he's a it's a wonderful actor he's a wonderfully written interesting character i thought that he was by far the best character the most interesting character and the most unique character and what a different kind of character you see and i was just like i really think this character is vastly interesting to me and i enjoyed all the stuff that he said so max von Sydow in the very beginning realizes that he's supposed to die Death shows up on the beach um, along with his squires washed up there. And it seems like maybe there's an accident of sorts. And Death says, let's go. He says, well, are you good at chess, Death? You're not better than me, you know. 
Devin went down the Georgia style, right? And, uh, well, that's a little different, okay? He better, <laughs> whatever, forget that reference. But he basically says, hey, if I beat you in chess, you got to let me go. And the devil's like, why not? I mean, death is like, why not? Not the devil. That's like, sure. So they're playing chess, this whole thing, while they're moving the story along and they're going across the country and they're running into other people who supposedly are on death's list as well. And he meets a couple actors, traveling actors, a few of them. He meets uh, Smith, uh, uh, you know, who basically his wife is cheating on him. And he's out to find one of the actors and his wife and put an end to it. We meet a peasant girl who uh, the squire saves from in a rape from a scoundrel, a thief. And we meet all sorts of other people along the way. Awful people that are being affected by the plague. You know, people, scared people, normal people. And there's really great aspects of like kind of religion and doubting religion and all this other things and how, how religions used to scare and put people, the fear in people and everything. And you have the whole, you know, what is the thing where they self-flog uh, themselves uh, as such a fucked up thing they used to do. During the plague, they blamed themselves and, and heathens basically because the, the plague, they said God's punishing them so they'd walk around flagging themselves and others carrying crosses and and in reality they're spreading the plague everywhere they go because the blood and you know bacterial infection the, the black plague was bacterial infection which is really if you're in a dirty gross environment is terrifying because bacterial infections you can be reinfected every time with it so you could get rid of it and you could get reinfected a viral infection usually your body fights it off and creates immunity to it um so so that's that's the thing about the black plague is you can keep catching it until you're fucking dead and a lot of times it kills you the first time if it didn't get you the first time it might get you the second time so it's just a crazy crazy backdrop to this and all this going on while he's playing um you know chess for his life and they set it up with the, one of the actor characters having these kind of visions and his wife never believes him but at the very end he does have a vision he's it's not even a vision he's just seeing He's seeing what's happening to his friends being led by death. Um, this is a good film, obviously. It's black and white. It's well shot. It's well acted. It's well written. It's interesting. Um, you know, I feel like Bergman was one of those guys that just did a lot of stuff before anyone else did. And you're like, oh, yeah, so that's why this is good. I mean, besides just being good, um, the dialogue is interesting. The story is interesting, of course. And the period it's set in is something that I'm vastly interested in. Uh, so, yeah, good movie. Uh, good pick. Glad I watched it. Um, you know, I, I like it. I don't like it better than Persona. But I like it better than Hour of the Wolf. You know, I put the second for the ones I've watched. Oh, Serpent's, Serpent's Nest, too, I saw with um, David Carradine. Where would I put I actually probably, you know, around the same time as Hour of the Wolf. I know that's blasphemy, but still. I need to revisit Hour of the Wolf. But anyways, Seventh Seal, great stuff, uh, um, obviously. Newsflash, Seventh Seal, a good movie. Uh, yeah. All right, guys. Questions, comments, concerns, all that jazz. So, Movie Junkie Reviews. Sunset Boulevard is a good movie with some gothic undertones. I remember watching it in cinema, of course. I agree. Uh, Mad Science Films. Vampire's Kiss is great once you realize it's not a vampire film, but a savage takedown of 80s yuppie culture. Indeed. That's why I kind of like compared it to American Psycho. I feel they're very similar. Um, D. Domino. Uh, congrats on six years of weekly updates. Thank you for all that you do. There are so many movies that I wouldn't have found out about if you hadn't talked about them. Not sure if you're going, what your grand plan is, but I hope we have years more to look forward to. At least ten. I'll give you ten. I don't know about after that. Maybe I'll be dead before that. Um, at, uh, Floyd 75 Dylan forget Criterion you better off getting Eureka's 4k police story box set uh, <laughs> word always cra- uh, sorry Steve 
You're, you're, that is a tongue twister and you know what it is. I absolutely love the intros of your 1980 and 1981 retrospective videos. Your editing and choice timing in the music absolutely nails the overall aesthetic, tone, and atmosphere of the period in which the fil films first existed. Thank you very much. I love them. Uh, keep doing what you do. It's very much appreciated. Oh, and thanks for viewing uh, Danza Macabra. I received mine last week. Looking forward to digging in. Let me know what you think. Um, Ilk Vomit. How does it feel to be all up in awesomeness of the Hong Kong cinema? As a longtime watcher and commenter, I'm absolutely loving that you're loving it. It took a long time for you to get here with these movies but i'm glad it stuck it out see with the horror films i was gonna i was gonna be into those anyways you know i watched the hong kong ones and i love the horror films but as far as like the martial arts films and the action films i've seen a couple but i am glad too i'm glad i'm watching them now they're great and they're getting a lot of releases now so it just fits perfect chris miller the police story looks really great jackie is the man that he is nick moore the cat creeps looks like a whole lot of fun i might pick it up don't you just love fiendish felines I do. Love the Terran track possession episode. The soundtrack is almost as batshit crazy as the movie itself. You might go insane yourself with repeated viewings. No doubt. Questions. We both seem to love cats. Can you understand why some people find them creepy or scary? I don't know. I mean, well, they have the old history with witches, right? They're supposed to be familiars. And cats are very quiet. They can sneak up on you. And if you've ever watched a cat find a bug or a small rodent, they will fuck with them until they kill them. So, I mean, and large cats are very dangerous. If house cats were bigger... By probably like three, four times, we'd be in trouble. Um, do evil cat movies work better in black and white or color? Kim Newman prefers black and white. I mean, you're, I assume you're talking about the black and white cat people. Um, there's other ones, you know. But, geez, I don't know. I feel like the, the black and white cat killer cat movies probably have a better track record of being quality films. And with the shadows and everything like that, if you don't want to show the transformations, you can really do stuff with shadows, like Val Luton stuff did. So, you know, with the original cat people. Now, do I prefer the uh, old cat people or the 80s cat? I probably prefer the original cat people over the 82 cat people to be honest. So I don't know. But I mean, not, it's not like by a country mile or anything. They're both very different. Hard to compare. Which physical release are you looking forward to most this year? I'm not too sure. Um, Messiah of Evil is coming out from Radiance Films. That looks great. Um, will there ever be a Mr. Parker Super Deluxe bot set that has all your movies? No. Not at all. They're all owned by different people anyways. No one would want a box set for me. I mean, there's uh, the Mr. Parker from the, the Mr. Parker, the, the um, Two I made, one I partially directed, one I directed. And then there's a bunch of the Dustin Mills stuff. There's a few Scott Shermer movies. There's one from uh, Adam Albrent. So, like, there's I mean, with Fred Vogel one. None of these movies could be ever put together. So it's not really going to ever happen. I know it's a joke, but still. Till next week, take it easy. You too. Uh, the most hated one. Car brakes need, need in a fix, just like me. Love your weekly reviews. Thanks for being informative and entertaining to watch. You're welcome. Uh, and thank you. What the flick? I remember the first review I seen of yours. It was the Men Behind the Sun review. No joke. You are literally the first person I subscribed to on YouTube. Thank you for the years of infotainment. Thank you. That's it. That's <laughs> infotainment. But uh, I can't wait for the Men Behind the Sun box set to get released again. I have to review it. It's one of the first reviews I did. Wasted time to control shop. If you was playing a goon in an action film, what would your outfit be? For example, biker, Mad Max style, or classic ski mask. Great vid, like always. Um, younger, I would go for the punk. I'd go for like an 80s punk rocker. And I'd have my hair and I'd spike it up. But I don't know. Now I feel like I would want to be a Western goon. You know, like a Sergio Leone goon. Um, any Anybody from a spaghetti Western. You can make them like, you can maybe put me in a suit, try to make me look suave. Or you can make me just ugly as shit and just goofy, which I am. So, 
definitely from a Western. I wanted me a spaghetti Western. Uh, wasted time. Good. Oh wait, Ken Coakley. I heard you say in response to spy films, you mentioned Day of the Jackal and Black Sunday, which are two films I liked as well. I saw Day of the Jackal at the theater when I was a kid. I thought it would be one of those movies you would like earlier in life, but didn't hold up. But Day of the Jackal still amazing and very intriguing. Michael Lonsdale, who played the French cop trying to catch the jackal, is also on the villain in Moonraker. Yeah, Day of the Jackal's good. Um, I saw Black Sunday at the local theater a few years ago, and the scene where Robert Shaw asked if the Super Bowl was a big event, everyone in the audience laughed because they were so young and couldn't know that the Super Bowl wasn't the event back in 1977 that it is today. Of course, people, people don't understand context. Back then, there was no billion-dollar commercials. The casting was great as well with Stephen Keats from Death Wish and one of my favorite of his films, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. I need to watch that. I saw part of it on television years ago, and I have the Blu-ray. Bruce Dern turned in another manic performance. Uh, Martha Keller made this after uh, Marathon Man. Unfortunately, after this, she appeared with Al Pacino in the film Bobby Deerfield. In regard to Sunset Boulevard, this film is Tony Todd's favorite film. There's a funny nod to Sunset Boulevard and John Waters' film Cecil B. Demented. Melanie Griffin said, I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. Demented. Yeah, Cecil B. Demented's a wild movie. I love all the, the people who have the tattoos of like the directors on their arm, like Peck and Paul and Fuller and stuff like that. Uh, so then Ben Masters. Poselli's The Vampire and Ballerina is great fun. It indeed it is the monster I remember being really the vampire I remember really gross looking uh, Dada DeBaser the giallo you were attempting to remember was the killer reserve nine seats that is that is the fucking title thank you Kentucky Kentuckinator congrats on six years thank you so I'm gonna draw some Patreon picks I don't have an update this week unfortunately but I'm gonna draw some Patreon picks well, let's do five names out of the hat see what we get I'm always kind of excited to what I'll be watching you know Again, somebody, I think Jim Carroll, he skips ahead. I know that I'm supposed to be Banquet of the Beast is what I'm supposed to do for him. So that one's going to be automatically be in here. So, because uh, he has been drawn out in a while. So I believe it was, no, it's Chris, it's Carroll. Chris Carroll, I think, did that. So here we go. Uh, James Baker, Incident at Raven's Gate, which is a sci-fi movie from Australia, if I'm not mistaken. I have seen it. Title, don't know it. Don't know much about it. Then what we have here is John Wilhelm. Any Vinegar Syndrome release you haven't seen. I love that. I love when people give me shit like that. And then plus the Banquet of the Beast one, which I do have a DVD of. Oh, David Luton, The Seventh Seal. Luton, either get back to me uh, on that, or uh, if you have another one in mind, tell me, and I'll, I'll throw it in because I already covered that one. Okay, Dan the Cameraman, spaghetti list from Letterbox. I take it this is a list he sent me uh, where people eat spaghetti. Dan, you fucking maniac. Um, and then we have uh, Jason Willard X. And I already covered X. Um, so Jason Willard. Um, what do we have? So if you, if you have something else in mind real quick, throw it at me. And let's just do this last one up here. Uh, Jonathan Wilhelm. Oh, we'll do two, another one too. Serpent of Death. Jonathan Wilhelm. And last. If those guys get at me and you guys have one, just let me know. And Travis Linscombe. Breaking Away. That's the running movie, if I'm not mistaken. And I am a runner. If you guys didn't know this, I run every day. Um, I'm a distance runner. Not super far distance, but I do run a lot. You know, sometimes an hour, sometimes an hour and a half, whatever, you know. But every day, at least 27 to 30 minutes, I run, you know, on my lunch break or whatever. But you guys, uh, we're out of here. I don't have an update. I'm, I'm poor. Poor boy needs brakes fixed. Oh, yeah, by the way, my brakes, the drums, uh, it's going to cost $1,159 fucking dollars. So, yeah, I love that for me. All right, guys, thank you very much for watching. And as always, have a good one.
Okay, next up from 1981 is from the great Australian place. Wait, 